in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. My soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when I think that God his Son, not sparing, send him to die. I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then i shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my god how great thou art then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art.
take our Bibles tonight. Turn back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. We were there last week. We're going to continue with our message on how to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits. How to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits. We begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able, that is. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, if you're able. There we read, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body... And bring it into subjection, as that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Father, we come to you tonight. We ask, Lord, that once again you'd meet with us. Lord, what a waste of time it is to just simply talk to one another. Lord, we need to hear from heaven. We need you to do a supernatural work in our hearts, our lives. May each and every one of us, Father, realize that we have needs tonight. That, Lord, you are the true need meter. Father, help us now and encourage us. And, Father, speak to our hearts. We'll thank you and praise you for what you will do. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. may be seated. Again, in our passage, we said last week as we introduced this, as well as as we kind of went through it some, we talked about the fact that in the passage we see the race. And, again, the, the person writing recognizes that the believer has a race to run and the goal wasn't to win, of course. We like to win. We want to come out ahead. We want to finish the, the course, if you will, strong. We want to uh, not only run, but we'd like to get the trophy, if you will. And so we see the race. We note the reward. In verse 25, we note that every man that striveth for masteries is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we had incorruptible. We noted that this particular writer... The Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, realizes that not only are we in a race and we're to try to win the best we possibly can, but he understands that the payoff in the end is an eternal payoff. It's an eternal issue. So the reward is not just in this life, but the next. We saw the response in verse 26 as a result of the fact that he's in the race, he's there to win, and the fact that there's an eternal payoff. What's his response? Well, The Bible tells us in verse 26 that he basically doesn't want to get sidetracked. He doesn't want to lose sight of the finish line. He wants to make sure that he keeps focused. And then finally, we see his resolve in verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, you know, I'm being very cautious to take steps to remain in the race and to finish. He realizes that he could easily be sidetracked. He realizes that he could mess up, trip up, fall. But he's saying, listen, I'm going to take steps. I am determined to finish this race and to finish strong. And so we see these aspects of the passage. And we said that the truth is, is that every one of us as believers ought to have a desire 
to finish strong and to win the race. That's what we ought to want to do. And we said that if we're genuinely concerned about the Christian race and finishing strong, then we probably ought to take the time to slow down tonight and listen and see if we can't glean something, learn something that will help us to finish the race strong and to ultimately win. So we started talking about the problem. And that was the first point. We said the problem. And we said the depravity of society, that's a problem. That creates some real issues for us. Everywhere we turn, everywhere we look, we see depravity, we see sin, we see uh, just uh, temptation all bounding all about us. That creates some issues. If we're going to stay clean, if we're going to stay pure, if we're going to stay focused on the finish line, then the reality is, is that, you know, we got to be careful we don't get distracted. And boy, I tell you what, the depravity of society has a tendency, if you will, to distract us. And we noted the drought of Scripture. We said that it's just a reality that most people don't spend a whole lot of time in the Word of God. They don't memorize it. They don't study it. They don't really give it a lot of time or effort. As a result of that, the Bible said, even the Lord Jesus said, that, behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. It will be a famine of Scripture, a famine of the Word of God. And we note that we can almost see kind of an element of that today. And uh, we saw some research there as well that to uh, validify that statement. Now, the drought of Scripture. Finally, we said the depth of spirituality. We, we, we basically, we noted and, and stated that, you know, our Christianity seems to be a thousand miles wide and only about two inches thick. And, and that's a problem, obviously. And it's something that we need to address. And we, we looked over in the book of Psalm. We noted how that tree was planted by that river and the roots run deep and therefore it becomes strong and vibrant and it begins to bear fruit. Well, in order for us to bear fruit, in order for us to finish strong, then we're going to have to have some roots and they have to go deep. It's not going to be this surface Christianity. We can't be surface dwellers. Our roots got to not only scratch the surface, they got to break through to deep, get rooted down deep in the soil of Scripture and the soil of the love of God and the soil of His Word. And so we noted those obstacles. We said that's some of the problems that we face. So we noted the problem. But today we want to begin by talking about the prescription. You go to a doctor if you're sick, you're ill, and uh, they examine you, they look over your body, and eventually they try to identify what's wrong with you. They can identify what's wrong with you, then they give you a prescription to help you. You take the prescription, follow through with the doctor's orders, and Lord willing, you'll be fine. And the truth is, is that Scripture has a prescription as well for this particular issue. There's some principles, there's some things that we can do or principles we can apply to our life that will help us to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits. They're practical. And so let's take a look at the prescription and note what Scripture has to say about this. And by the way, let's be honest. If, if all of us could be uh, perfectly honest and, and transparent tonight, every one of us would have to say, you know what? I need this. I need this. I mean, of all the things, I, I realize that I, my sin may not be uh, as big as this guy's, but my sin is big enough that God's concerned about it, and uh, I ought to be concerned about it. I may not be uh, doing this or that, but I'm doing what I'm doing. 
And so the reality is, is that we can all glean from this. So let's, let's consider the prescription that God has for us in this area of overcoming some sinful lifestyles and habits. So, number one, realize that your battle is a spiritual one. That's the first step. I think it's important that it, all of us understand and realize that our battle is a spiritual one. You say, well, that's easy. I know that. Yeah, but we don't act like it too often. We don't always, we don't always respond accordingly. Look, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. You, you, have to be, you have to understand this, but it's not just a matter of a head knowledge. You have to really believe this. It has to be very... Uh, it, it needs fixed in your mind. If I said to you today, okay... Uh, you believe that our battle is a spiritual one. Prove it. Where would you have taken me? In Scripture to prove it. I mean, that's really the, the, the real test of your faith and how mature you are and how much you know the Word. I mean, we say, well, I know that, preacher. You don't know it unless you can prove it. Nobody cares what you know. I remember I had a Bible college teacher. Uh, he, he'd, say, uh, he'd ask a question and somebody would say this, and he'd say... Uh, where's that in Scripture? And, and he'd, say, he'd say, well, I believe this. He'd say, I don't care what you believe. Well, I think that. I don't care what you think. He goes, what's, the, what's God's Word say? And everybody get frustrated. So, well, the Bible says this. He goes, well, where's it say that then? I'm like, mm. But it, it, it helped me to understand that it's important. So here we are now. Let's find out why we believe that the battle's a spiritual one. First of all, Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Well, for we know that flesh and blood is not spiritual. That's physical. So what do we wrestle against? But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, the, the, the implication is that Satan has a hierarchy. Just like in the military, you have, you know, you have a, a general, then you have a, um, a, a colonel and a... Uh, a lieutenant colonel and, uh, you know, a, a, a major and a captain and so forth right down the line. It appears here that Satan has that hierarchy too. And, and he's got a, a, a war machine. And the, the, you, when we battle today, we don't war against or wrestle against this flesh and blood. It's not mom or dad that I'm fighting with, really. It's not my husband or wife that's the real problem. It's, it's not even the pastor or the leadership in the church. That's not the real issue here. Where the battle really rests and where it really lies is with the adversary, the devil, and with his army. It's a spiritual warfare, the Bible says. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. Some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I suppose if there's one area that, that probably every single person that comes in for counseling can use, it's these verses right here. These verses right here. If you don't have these memorized, you should. You ought to memorize these ones. You'll use them, every, you'll use them constantly in your life. When I was in the Philippines, uh, missing my family, and, and uh, I was having some, I guess you'd call it jet lag, if you will. It makes me anxious. And so I lay there and I feel like something's not right. Something needs done. I shouldn't be laying here. Something's wrong. Something's not right. And I just laid there and I, I, I would sit there and look at the door waiting for somebody to bust through. Or I'm thinking about what's going on back home. Not, not what I didn't care about what was going on in church. But anyway, I, no, but anyway, I didn't worry about that kind of stuff. But I was just worried about something. I don't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. Well, I had to use these verses. I use these verses. I had to get control of my mind. 
Because the battle wasn't a physical one. I wasn't wrestling with some intruder. I was wrestling with some spirit in my heart, my mind. Notice what it says here in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Again, our warfare, it says, are not carnal. It's not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So you know the real battle's fought here. We talk about the heart all the time, but the reality is, is that the, 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 the root of our being is really found in our intellect. It's in our mind. That thing that beats called a heart is just an organ. The heart is, it's a word used. I mean, if you go to certain, uh, uh, the word that's actually used in the word of God has to do with the stomach. It's translated heart because that's what we understand. But, but the root meaning would be your, your guts. Now, guess what? The fact is, is that your stomach, your heart, those, it does, those themselves have no real basis for who your, your person is. But, but who you are is comprised of your mind. Remove your mind and most of us would not know who you were. Now, some of you, we might not miss you. You'd be just like normal. <laughs> you don't get it, do you? That's what I mean. We could remove that and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> oh, I know. Okay, bad, bad. Bad joke or analogy. Okay, so anyway, so we see here, notice again the battle. Casting down imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, it's really the devil that's behind your temptation. He's the one that's really behind it. It's not that, that girl at the office who's really creating the problem. It's not that guy that listens to you ladies. It's not that the internet got put on there and as a result of the internet, it's, it's the internet's fault. Now, this is, these are all tools that, God, that the God of this world uses, yes. But he's the one that instigates. He's the one that facilitates, if you will. And we need to understand where these temptations come. We need to understand that the battle we face and the battle we fight is a spiritual battle. Try to see past that pretty face, young fellas. Look past, uh, you know, those big biceps, ladies. You know, I mean, you, you have to realize when you, you're seeing sin, it's going to look good. Because that's how Satan dresses it up. Look past it, though, and see the real face of sin. And it's going to be a very ugly face indeed, because it's no other face but Satan himself. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil... Your adversary the devil, your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Listen, it's, the battle's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual one. Now that's important on a number of levels, and we'll get to some of it. But we often think it's physical, but it's really spiritual. And when we start dealing with the prescription of how to overcome sinful uh, lifestyles and habits, you better be aware that it's spiritual. Because if not, you'll buy every self-help book you can find and never find relief. Because you're trying to attack the flesh and not deal with the spirit. So realize that your battle is a spiritual one. Number two, avoid contact with your area of weakness. Again, we're trying to be practical. And again, biblical as well. Turn if you would to Genesis 39. 
Genesis chapter 39. Verse 11. Avoid contact with your area of weakness. First of all, flee. How do you avoid contact? You flee. You, you, you hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more. Okay, so anyway, Genesis 39, verse 11. We're familiar with this particular character, and every one of you will go, Oh, I know this story, and that's good. I hope you do. If not, though, let's read just a couple verses. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. Now, let's move on. Some of you have a bad image in your mind. And there was none of the men of the house there within. You're making it hard for me to share. But anyway, and she caught him by his garment. Now, again, we understand that Joseph was sold into slavery. The Midianites come along and they, 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 they take him on into Egypt. We know that he sold to Potiphar. There he's working in the household of Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar uh, elevates him, exalts him in the house. He just sees the hand of God on his life. And he's extremely excited to have this young man that is so wise and is so discreet and utilizing such wisdom at such an early age. And he says, man, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna, I trust him. I'll put him in charge. And he allows him to run his whole household, his whole household. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. I don't know how that happened. I don't get it. I don't know if that was normal. But either way, none of the men of the house there were, uh, were, uh, there were within. And she caught him, Potiphar's wife, by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Now again, she obviously had been pursuing him, trying to have an inappropriate relationship with this young man. And ultimately, he finds himself in the house. She comes along, grabs hold of him and says, This is the great day that the Lord hath made for us, Joseph. And don't think for a minute she probably didn't throw some Bible verse in there because that's what Christians are good at doing when they sin. They like to throw a good Bible verse in there to prove that they're okay in what they're doing. I don't know if she's a Christian or not. I doubt it. But nonetheless, here she is now, holding on to his garment. What's he do? Well, ma'am, you know, I don't know. This, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. And I mean, yeah, you're good looking and all. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to offend you or anything. I, I don't want to hurt your feelings or anything. You know, and I appreciate the fact it makes me feel kind of good that, you know, <laughs> that's how I handled it. That's how we handle it sometimes. When we get those kind of advances, we're almost flattered by them. Joseph wasn't flattered in the least. Matter of fact, he was alarmed by it. He was concerned about it. He was like, whoa, 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 hold on. Put on the brakes, man. What is going on here? And the moment he realized what was really taking place, he didn't stand around to figure it out. He didn't try to reason it out. He just got out of there. He fled, man. He got out of there. That's what the Bible says. And fled and got him out. See, whether it's a moral or ethical sin you face, just run. Get away. Get out of there. Don't think about it. Just run. Someone says, yeah, that's the coward's way out. Well, it's either the coward's way out or the corrupt man's way. Sooner or later, it'll corrupt you. It's how arrogant and how prideful are we to think 
that we're the exception of the rule. I mean, here's a godly man like Joseph, whose God's hand was all over him. I mean, I mean let's just be honest. Is God's hand all over you? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, like Joseph's? I mean, how's, how's, how's your workplace being prospered as a result of your presence? How's your family just being so blessed because of you? I know one thing for sure. I know his household, that household of Potiphar's was being blessed because of one man, Joseph. Had nothing to do with Potiphar, had nothing to do with Potiphar's wife, had nothing to do with his family, had everything to do with that one young man there. And all I'm saying is if that young man, having the power of God on his life and the hand of God on his life like he did, said, I can't stand up to this. I can't possibly think that I'm able to overcome it. I'm certainly not mature enough to face it and deal with it. I'm just going to go ahead and run. And I think maybe we all ought to probably run. There's probably not one of us any better Christian than old Joseph would have been. Again, I, maybe, maybe you are. But I don't think that's me. I think I'd, I'd probably need to run faster than he did. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee, run from it. Avoid contact with your area of weakness. But not only flee, but there's another way that you can handle that or avoid contact with your area of weakness. That's avoid it. Avoid it. So what you do is you just keep your temptation out of reach. I mean, the only thing better than fleeing is avoiding it. You don't have to face it and you don't have to run from it. You just don't get around it. You don't get near it. You don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Guy says, man, I'm really struggling. Every time I turn on the television, I watch things I shouldn't watch. You probably ought to get rid of your TV. That'd be, that's a good idea. If you didn't have a TV, you wouldn't be tempted to watch it. So he says, man, I'll tell you what, these smartphones are great, but every time I get online, I end up going to a website I shouldn't. Well, then maybe you need to do something about that. Maybe instead of just running, well, I'll run from it. No, you won't because you've got a hook to your side. It's right here on your belt loop. It's in your pocket. Maybe you need to do something. Maybe you need to get rid of it. Oh, I couldn't live without a phone. Yeah, I know. The devil would like you to believe that. Yeah, the devil would like you to believe you couldn't live without a phone. Couldn't live without the internet at your house. Couldn't live without TV. Couldn't live without, couldn't live without, come on. We lived without it for years. Well, the world's different now. Yeah, I know. A lot easier to sin and temptation to come to our, right to our very forefront every day. I'm not saying that all those things are bad. I'm saying that if Satan's using them to, 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 to trip you up, then maybe you just need to avoid contact with your area of weakness. And that may mean saying no to some things. I don't, I don't get stuff like this. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, if it's that bad, then get rid of it. Right? Is it doesn't that make sense? But we don't want to get rid of it. We like it. We're not not honest with ourselves sometimes. We're certainly not honest with others. Oh, I hate sin. No, we don't. You don't hate sin and keep the very thing that keeps dropping you into it around. You don't do that. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. Let me just be honest with you for a minute. I really believe today, if you're a man and there's a woman at your office that tempts you and you are really concerned that you may just have a tendency to want to do things or say things or go places with her that you shouldn't go, you may just want to quit a job and go look for another one. 
Oh, you need to tough it out. You need to man up. You need to deal with your lust. Yeah, you do need to deal with that. You need to seek some advice and counsel from your pastor for sure. You absolutely do. And if you don't think you do, you're a fool. But let me tell you something. Before I'm going to throw my family away, I'd get rid of a job. I'm going to tell you the truth. And especially if your wife thinks you ought to get rid of it. You might be wise to listen to her. Now, I'm not saying that's the answer every time. I'm just saying that you need to learn to deal with your lust. You need to deal with that kind of problem because you'll probably walk right back into it somewhere else if you don't face it and deal with it. But the fact is today is that I've watched men that were unwilling and too arrogant and prideful to do something about the lust in their life and they lost their wife and their family and all of a sudden they still have the job but they didn't have the family. That's right. What good's it do? I thought your wife and family was the most important thing in your life, sir. And all of a sudden now your job is? I'm sorry, but you don't see things the way I do. If you don't understand this. And you don't understand how God sees things then. Because I'm going to tell you something. Sin is not something that God wants us to play with. And all I'm saying is, is that, I tell you, before I lose that right over there, <laughs> I'd rather lose this. I'd rather lose my, my uh, job. I'd rather lose my hobbies. There ain't nothing more valuable to me than that right over there. That's right. That's right. Now, fortunately, God doesn't ask me to give up any of those things for her. Not a one. But by the same token, if there was something coming between me and her, I'm telling you what, I'm dealing with it. Amen on that. Especially if it's another one of those with a different name. She'd probably kill me anyway. And I'm not joking. She may act nice, but she ain't. I mean, she's, she is nice, but I'm saying, under those circumstances, under those circumstances, she might not be nice. Uh, under those circumstances, get it? Okay, that's what I meant. Okay. <laughs> Turn, if you would, to Romans thirteen fourteen. You say, well, I don't get all this stuff you're saying. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 14. This is the, the real basis for it, if you will. The foundation for that principle that I'm sharing with you. Notice what it says in Romans 13, 14. And by the way, the Bible doesn't come out and say, thou shalt quit a job or thou shalt... Stop playing golf, or thou shalt stop doing this, or going here, or being with these friends, or that friend. It doesn't list things like that. There are principles we live by. And the principle dictates our response. We allow principle to rule our lives. And God uses that in the Word of God. So that, that's what we see here. Now watch the principle. Here it is. It's outlined for us. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh... To fulfill the lust thereof. Don't make provision for it. Now, again, before you can put off something, uh, uh, you know, you need to put something on. And we know, notice it's the Lord Jesus. We'll, we'll probably deal with that a little later too. But notice, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I, I mean, the drunkard, he, he drives down the street and he sees a bar coming home from work and he wants to go, pull right on in. Hey, guess what you do? Don't make provision for the flesh. Find another way home. Don't go past the bar. You say, well, he'll find another one. Well, if he wants to drink, he's going to find a way to do it. I understand that. But if you genuinely want to overcome sinful habits and lifestyles, 
then you need to avoid those areas of weakness in your life. Don't drive by the bar. Doesn't that, that's pretty simple. And if I'm not driving by it, I'll be less likely to pull in. You know, this isn't rocket science. But, But those are the things. People sit in my office. It's funny to me. It's not funny. It's tragic. And they say, I'm struggling. I can't deal with it. It's rough. And I say, well, don't do this and don't do this and get rid of that and do this, first of all. Let's wipe these away. Let's take away the opportunity. And you, you know how far that goes? From me to that other side of that desk. And that's as far as it goes, almost 90% of the time, 99% of the time. Because people honestly don't want to get rid of anything that they're comfortable with. It's all about personally. It's all about comfort. Oh, they want to get rid of the vice in their life. They don't want to be ruled. And they don't want to feel like they're going to get caught and all of those things. But they really don't want change in their life. Most people don't want change. They just want freed from the potential of problems. Help me to deal with this so that I can be happy. It's always about them. It's never about honoring God. It's never about pleasing the Lord. It's always about them. It's not really even about their wife or their family. It's about them. Take away this burden. Why? So you can go out and sin again doing something else? Well, okay. I'm kind of getting off track, but it really bothers me. And so we need to avoid contact. So the next time you're struggling with something, ask yourself, where's the point of contact here? What, what, what really makes it easier for me to fall into the trap of this particular sin? And then ask yourself, what is it that I can do about that? It might mean getting rid of it, avoiding it. That's a good idea. By the way, when you can say to yourself, I would never, you know, beware. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Number three. Number three. Avoid relationships that would lead you astray. Relationships that would lead you astray. Proverbs thirteen twenty, great verse. Let's turn there. Maybe you might have it memorized, and that's good. If you do, you don't, uh, you know, don't turn to it. That's okay if you have it memorized. But look at what it says over in the book of Proverbs chapter thirteen. And once we get there, you'll go, oh man, I know that verse. <laughs> but it's a great verse. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know, what the Bible's teaching again is simple. We need to avoid those who would give us any advice, instruction, counsel, or direction that would go contrary to the leadership of the Lord and His Word. You just need to avoid it. You've got to get away from it. You can't listen to that stuff. I'm I'm amazed how many believers used to watch stupid shows like Oprah. What, what, are you, what in the world? Or, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, Ellen. But she's so funny. She's great. And I'm going to be honest with you, every once in a while she is kind of funny. And trust me, she's funny in a number of ways. But let me tell you something. 
Don't think that she is peddling gospel message or truths. You honestly think that the media and those involved in the media really have your best interest at heart as a believer in Christ? You need to be very careful who you listen to, who you allow to influence you. That, that's what, it's, it's important. I mean, it's, it's funny to me that, honestly, I mean, really, let's be honest. If we polled our young people in here, and maybe even some of the older ones, you, you, they would know more movie stars than they do Bible characters. They, they would know more names of movies than they would books of the Bible. And we, we honestly think that we're spiritual because we come to church. You know, well, we go to church. Yeah, I know, but, but who's influencing us? Who's really influencing us? The other day, it was funny. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble because I don't remember things. I always forget names. Maybe somebody's in here and was talking to my dad. I can't remember now. But they were asking my dad something. Oh, you remember this movie or something? And my dad was like, just kept talking. Because he had never heard about that movie in his life. I never heard about the movie. I don't even know what the movie was. Well, all I'm saying is, is that there's some things we probably shouldn't know about them. You know, and, and we know way too much. Relationships. It doesn't just have to be that friend that you hang out with all the time. Although, let me tell you something. If they're not the kind of Christian that you should be, then you'll become the Christian they aren't. Or the person they're not. The Bible is what says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. A so-called friend that would entice you toward evil is not really a friend at all. Look at you on 2 Samuel 13. You'll recognize this particular situation as well, I'm sure. At least many will. 2 Samuel 13. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister. That means she was pretty. Whose name was Tamar. And Am- Amnon, the son of David, loved her. They're half-brothers sis- half and sisters here. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar. You, w- you want to know why he fell sick for his sister Tamar? Say, because she's beautiful. Yeah, she's beautiful. That was the first reason why he was drawn to her, yes. Do you know why he was sick? Because all he thought about was her. Bringing into captivity every thought to the what? Obedience of Christ. He should have never thought the way he was thinking. You know why he did what he did? Because he was thinking. See, as a man thinking of his heart, so is he. I don't care how good of a man you appear to be to everybody else. What you are in your heart's really who you are. And down the road, one day, it'll all come out. And we'll all go, man, I can't believe that. I wonder what happened to him. I wonder what happened to her. And the truth is, you've always been that way because you've been that way in your heart. It's just now it manifests itself physically. Because, see, you and I have to be very careful what we think about. Because what we think about is what we are and what we ultimately do. And, and you say, I'm so depressed. Well, quit thinking depressing thoughts. Stop thinking that way. I, I was at home tonight, and I don't know what it is. There's this ominous feeling comes over me every once in a while. I don't know, maybe you have that. And I went, Lord, is there any reason why I should feel this way? No. 
I'm not going to think that way. I will not feel that way. Life is great. Move on. We better get a handle on those things. We can't allow feelings to dictate or to rule us. Because they will. And unfortunately, Amnon, he was thinking way too much about something he had no right to think about. He focused on it, and before it was over with, he responded and acted on it. All he needed was someone to ignite it. And boy, the Bible says, but Amnon had a friend. That's why it's important that you have the right friends. Because, you know, down deep, if you're a critical person and you got a friend like this, they're not going to help you dig out. They're not going to tell you how wonderful your church is, how great your pastor is, how loving your wife is, how supportive your husband is, how blessed you are to have the children you have. Now, that kind of friend's going to only try to ruin it, ruin you and everything else. Tell you how messed up things are. Oh, yeah. Amnon had a friend. Oh, what did he say? Whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. That's the same term that they use for Satan. Over there in the garden, he's subtle, remember? Well, listen, all I'm saying is, is that, let's just be honest. In the Bible, the Bible tells us here that you need to be careful who your companions are, who your friends are, because ultimately they can lead you down one path or the other. And really, in reality, there's not one of us that is not influenced by the people that we spend time with. That friend ultimately would lead Amnon to depths of sin that he never imagined possible in his life. I mean, just a year or two earlier, I guarantee you, he'd have never thought he would have done what he did to his sister. He'd have never dreamed it would have happened. He probably never even thought about that. I mean, it was obvious that it took a friend to kind of cultivate that thought. Because Amnon's like, oh, she's my sister. I mean, I couldn't do anything to her. Well, why not? Don't you deserve Shouldn't you have? You're the king's son. Good friend. Because ultimately, as we said here, Amnon's depth of sin truly stepped out beyond his, the realm of possibility in his mind. It cost a young lady a lifetime of sorrow. It cost Amnon his life and ultimately his father two sons. Proverbs 1.10, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Proverbs, and you know what? Just, just because somebody doesn't offer you a beer and say drink it doesn't mean you're not being enticed by sin. You got friends at work, so-called friends, and they're going, and you need to watch this show. This is a great show. And down deep in your heart, you know it's not the kind of show you ought to watch. Uh, what did the Bible say? My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Oh, oh wait a second. Proverbs 1.15. Let's look at that. My son, walk thou not in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Well, I, I couldn't be that way. I'd never get a chance to win them. Oh, you mean you'd never have a chance to be like them? The truth is we almost look forward to it. Sometimes we're like David in, or, or like the psalmist in chapter 73, and we look at the world and we go... Boy, my feet almost nigh slipped. I would like to be like them. I wish I could watch what they watch. I wish I could go where they go. I wish I could do what they do. And listen, there's not a young person in here that hasn't thought those thoughts. And guess what? We've all been young people. And unfortunately, we don't all grow out of that because we still got that adamant nature. 
And that's why the Lord's trying to protect us here from ourselves. And He's saying, you be careful who you're around because they will influence you negatively. They will cost you something. Flirt with sin. Flirt with your weakness. But it'll bite you. Stay away from those that possess your, uh, the same flaws and vices that you have. You don't, don't, don't put yourself around. Isn't it funny? I don't know about you, but, and I've got to hurry up. We've got to close. But when, when, when I was a youth director for years, and even when I was leading the youth here at this church, it was always, I, 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 it was great. I loved it. Me and my wife would walk in. We'd go, let's see how long it takes. Oh, there they are. Boom, I know every single kid that's got a problem here because they hung around the ones that had problems in our youth group. They found each other. The kids with problems always find one another. Or the kids that are problems find one another. We could say it that way. It's just amazing. Kids that have rebellion issues, that, that authority issues, they seem to find one another. Kids that don't want to dress properly, they find one another. Kids that don't want to act right and talk right and be right, they find one another. And then it's funny to me. Well, I'm not even going to go there because I'll make somebody mad at me. But anyway, they find one another. And you know what? The Bible saying to us, be careful. Do not get around those that have the same vices and flaws that you have. Or you'll find yourself back in the muck and the mire again. 1 Corinthians 15.33, look at that. We just, we're going to close with that verse. 15.33, 1 Corinthians 15.33. We read, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupts good manners. That's not just talking about, that's not just talking about your speech. It's talking about lifestyle, actions. Evil actions and communication, lifestyle corrupts good manners. It's going to have an effect on you. I don't care how solid these young men are right here. I don't care how faithful they are in God's house. If they get around the, wrong, around the wrong young people, it will drag them down. They can go ahead and say whatever they want. Well, I'm helping them. Okay, you can help them all you want, but unfortunately, probably more than likely, you'll be the one in the, down there. I, I'm telling you, you'd be better off to go to your parents and say, hey, I, I'm telling you, I'm trying to work with this teenager. I, I, I got a friend at school, a kind of an acquaintance really, and you know, I'm trying to help him out. Give me some parameters. Help me to understand because I don't want them to rub off on me. I want to be the one that rubs off on them. Help me with that. You, you need to be that transparent, young people. Because as smart as you are, you're not smarter than your parents. They've been around. They understand how it works and probably they've been deceived a few times and they've learned a few lessons along the way. And they're trying to help you avoid them. You know, drug addicts, they're often enticed back into their lifestyle by an old friend or acquaintance. Almost always. One of the greatest challenges that an addict will face is that they can't have any contact with those of their past. None. None at all. Oh, they think they can handle it. That's their problem. And then they end up back. Oh, listen. Okay, go ahead. Two years I've been sober. Okay, a drug addict. Two years. Let them run into old friends again. Oh, it's no big deal. Just come have a beer with me down at the bar. Oh, okay, no drugs. They take a couple drinks. Before you know it, they're back on the drugs. Two days later, they, we find them coming out of that hole they find themselves in. And we say, what happened? I don't know. I just got to, I say, you was, you was drinking, weren't you? You, you? And you ran into somebody that you knew from the past, didn't you? Yeah. Same story every time. 
Same story. But everybody's got the answer. They all think they can figure it out. You know what? Sadly enough, we think we got it figured out too sometimes. We don't. None of us do. Can't talk to them. Can't spend time with them. Can't be around them. If they ever hope to escape the bondage of their addiction. You know what? We have those same problems in our life. It may not be drugs and alcohol, but it could be an attitude, a spirit. We need to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to hang around those that have the same horrible spirit, critical spirit, negative spirit, attitude that we, have, that, that, that we don't want to go back to. You be careful. You'll get sucked right back in. Just a couple of things. There's a number of others that we'll talk about over the next week or so. How to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits. We said, number one, realize that your battle is a spiritual one. Two, avoid contact with your area of weakness. So number three, avoid relationships that would lead you astray. And I guess that's all we got to. Wow. It's a long-winded preacher. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to gather tonight. And, Lord, we're just humans. We're flesh. And the truth is, Lord, is that we're so prone to, the, to sin. And, Lord, none of us uh, have arrived. We're, we're all works in progress.